0: You know, one of the things that we'll be looking at this morning is, is the wedding at Cana, which everyone knows is the water turning into wine, right? It's one of the stories that everyone pretty well knows in, in Scripture. And, and the thing about it is, it, it is a foreshadowing, this wedding, of the great wedding feast of the Lamb that we find in Revelation. That this wedding, this, what we're looking at, actually shows the Creator God walking and being with His people and demonstrating His ability to change water into wine and shows us a foreshadowing of this King who changes everything. In Psalm 103, captures the sword of God that that we worship. And so I'm just going to read to you a couple of verses out of Psalm 103 as we get ready to take the elements, starting in verse 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. You got it. Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great... Is his love for those who fear him or are in awe of him? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he moved, removed your sins or your transgressions from you. That's what he does. That's what he came to do. That's what this Jesus at this wedding that we're going to be looking at, that's what he came to do. He came. And later on, as we go through the Gospel of John, we get into chapters 13 to 17. He's in the upper room with his disciples in that whole section we call the upper room discourses where he is sharing a number of things. But one thing he does with them is he breaks bread with them. He celebrates the Passover with them where he reminds them that we were all slaves in Egypt. God set us free. He brought us out of slavery and bondage into a freedom. And him, as the Lamb of God who will be slain, his body will be broken for us. And let's take a moment, let's just pray together. Lord, as we come to you, we come to you with all that we have carried. The ways, Lord, that that we have hurt others and that we have hurt ourselves. We lay at the foot of the cross. Because your sacrifice was sufficient. What you did on the cross, you said, is finished. It is done. It is complete. Your sacrifice for us, your redeeming work for us, nails at all to the cross. You don't need to carry it anymore. It does not define you. It is not your future. And so we thank you, Lord God, that as we lay down before you right now, all those sins, those things, those ways, that we've broken your heart. We thank you that there's a way out and there's a way into freedom. And so let's take this way for this symbol of his body broken for you. And we thank you, Lord, at that same celebration. The feast of history, the feast of liberation, the great feast where you declared that your blood, there needed to be a sacrifice for us to be free. Your blood shed for us means that we are free indeed. And so we remember what you've done and declare that it is sufficient. It is complete. Christ shed for you. Let's drink all of it. And so, Lord, we take a moment believing by faith that what you did for us was sufficient. That you are a God who brings to us freedom and liberty. You're a God who completes us and heals us and restores us and renews us. And I pray that you would do that right now, that we'd receive your forgiveness and your mercy right now, we would receive it. We choose to receive it and say, that is true, and it is true for us, and it's true today for us. And we thank you for your great word, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 He is good, as we sang earlier, and this is why he is good. This is what we remember about his goodness. As we're continuing in our, our study in the Gospel of John, we're in chapter 2, and we're looking, as I said earlier, at the wedding at, at Cana. And it, and it says in this story that Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So one thing I want to make clear, they were not wedding crashers right? They were not wedding crashers, all right? I'm not recommending the movie right now, but those of you who've seen it automatically have images in your head. They did not crash this thing. They were actually invited to this thing. And so what I want to talk about this morning, my title, is doing whatever Jesus tells you. Doing whatever Jesus tells you. Not sometime, but anytime now doing what he t- tells you, that's really important. So with this wedding, let's give you a little bit of context. What would have happened to get ready for this wedding? So when I, a number of you know that I lived in Israel, grew up in part in, in Israel, and I worked with a, a Palestinian f- uh, friend who, who worked in a village called Bet-Sahur. Bet-Sahur is near Bethlehem, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And this guy worked with getting married, and so he invited me to, <clears throat> to the wedding. So his bride, he had met in the village, so it wasn't arranged marriage, but, it, but once they got interested in each other, the two families got together, and quickly. They're going to make sure that they're on top of this thing. And so what they do is they sit down and they negotiate the bride price, any dowry that's going to be paid. They have all this negotiation, sometimes haggling, dare I say, to increase increase the bride price or whatever it may have been. And once they feel like everyone has been honored and no one's going to be shamed, then they agree to terms. And okay, we're going to do this. So they set the date. And when they do that, that couple is engaged. And even though they have not consummated the marriage, they're as good as married. It required a divorce to break that thing up. Remember Mary and Joseph in in, uh, Gospel of Luke chapter 1? When they were engaged, that was it. And it required a divorce to end that. And it was the same thing in, in this cultural in rural Palestine today, rural Israel today. And amongst some villages, that is still still the case. That's how seriously they take this thing. And so what would happen is on the day of the wedding, and I actually witnessed this, the, the groom and his entourage would go to the bride's house to get her. So they have to receive her. They have to take her and they would take her from the house. And sometimes there's a little drama and protesting that they're taking their daughter away, but they would take her. If it's a small wedding, they take and have the ceremony at the groom's house. If it's a larger wedding as the one that I went to, then it's a venue in the little village that they would go to. And what they do is they dance and there's drums and there's celebration and you know the very solemn wedding sometimes we have here in America and do you take and you know all this none of that man this is a party right now it's only a party for a day and the difference is in Jesus' day it was for seven days well no wonder you run out of wine I mean seven days my goodness what are you people thinking so notice in verse one it says on the third day the third day of what I don't know if you've noticed, when we looked at chapter 1, it said the next day, and then the next day, and the next day. So what is this? We think that this is three days after Nathaniel made a commitment to follow Christ. And it's happening in Cana, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there, and we know she's from Nazareth. But, you know, if you were to travel from Cana to Nazareth, it would be kind of like going from Pomona to Glendora. It's only eight or nine miles they're small little villages of two to 3,000 people. Everyone would have known everyone. We think somehow Mary is related to the family, that she knows people here. It's clear that she does. So Jesus and the disciples are invited, it says in verse 2. Now, why? Why would they be invited to this particular wedding? Because Nathaniel, the one that we looked at last week, remember the one who says, can anything good come from Nazareth? He lives in Cana. It's probably relatives of him or people he knows that that's why he invites Jesus and his disciples along because there's already that connection. And when the wine is gone, Jesus' mother says to him, they have no more wine. Ever heard of one about the Baptist minister who had a church on the East Coast and he um, had a conference to go to in New York. So he's going along and he is going too fast. He's speeding. So he gets pulled over and the state trooper Gets him to roll down the window, and once he does, he says, Sir, have you, have you been drinking? The minister says, oh, no, only water. The trooper says, well, why, why, why is it that I smell wine? And, and the pastor looks down at the bottle in his lap and says, Good Lord, he's done it again. <laughs> Those pastors, I'm not sure about them. <laughs> <I don't. laughs> so... Mary is somehow connected to all this because she wouldn't be coming to him and saying this. Basically, what she's doing is help save face so no one is shamed. You got to help somehow in, in, in the situation. And notice what Jesus says in verse four He doesn't say mom, He says woman. Talking to your mother that way, woman. And some people think maybe this is the beginning of a transition. He's going to begin to launch into his formal ministry. He's going to go public. Maybe the relationship is shifting a little bit. We know he still loved and cared about his mom because you go forward to the end of John 19, and you see he's caring for his mother still. So we know that's not the case. But what is the case is we believe that Joseph had probably died by now. He was probably much older than Mary, we believe. So she would go to the eldest son. That would be culturally what you would do, which, of course, is Jesus. You have to go to the eldest son and say, what are we going to do about this? You know, weddings are not without their drama, right? I mean, if you've gone to enough weddings, like pastors do, you've seen all sorts of things. I was doing a wedding at Purpose Church, First Baptist Pomona used to be. And I was, uh, we were getting ready for the ceremony. The, the, the sanctuary was just about filled, and, and the bride and groom were ready to come down the aisle. We were ready to go, right? And I turned to the best man, and I said, show me the rings and he was holding both the rings of the bride and the groom and he looked white. I thought he'd on my shoes or something. And he says, oh my gosh, they're back at my apartment. He goes dashing out through the door. I never have seen anyone a tux run so quick in my life. Out the doors and he's gone. Well, meanwhile, we got to start the service. The organ is playing, the people are coming in, you know, the, the, the processional is beginning and so for, Most of that service, I sat there eyeing the door, waiting for him to come back. As I'm trying to stall, you know, doing a little tap dancing, trying to keep this thing going. But sure enough, he came racing in and sliding right into home plate, came up and had the rings right at the right (laughs) time. And the whole bridal party was phew. Of course, no one else knew what was going on. I did a wedding out in Riverside. You know challenge has that Benedictine-like castle out in Riverside. I did a wedding out there one day. It was a hot July day. I mean hot Everyone is sweating through their suits and their dresses. I don't know if they just didn't have AC or they didn't turn on the AC or I don't know what it was, but it was seriously hot. And as we're moving through the ceremony, I'm watching the groom and he's he's kind of doing this. And I get to that part, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded, phew, clunk. I mean, really, on the stone floor, he is out like this. And the bride's like, hey, get up. What's the matter with you? Get up off the, no, she didn't do that. She was really anxious when we got him. So we revived him, but let me tell you, talk about the whole room being still for a while. It was, you know, drama, right? So we got a little bit of drama right here, where we are out of wine, and for us that may not be a big thing, but there, major shame. You embarrass the whole family if you do not provide for them. And Jesus says, "My hour has not come, has yet come." God is sovereignly placed in order the times and seasons, and his plans and purposes for his people, he's laid it out, he knows exactly what, what he's doing, and Jesus knows that as well, because he walks in perfect obedience to the Father, so he knows the point when he is supposed to launch ministry. Can it be that those who, who love God and serve him and are walking in obedience to him can actually appeal to God and speak into that, or somehow intercede in a way that God would listen to them and Maybe alter that plan and the timing of it a bit. I, I, I'm not sure, but, but it's interesting because if you look at the seven references to the hour that is to come, six of those have to do with his death and resurrection. This is the only one that, that doesn't. In fact, that, that theme is picked up in Acts. You know, in Acts chapter one, Jesus is resurrected. He's about to send to the Father. And he says, and the disciples gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time? going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. In other words, God's got this. I'm always responding to what the Father is doing and doing what the father is doing. And yet Mary is making an, an appeal to him. Verse five, his mother says to his servants, do whatever he tells you. These are Mary's last words in this gospel. It's the only time she ever asks him to do anything. And she instructs the servants, you're to listen to him. You're to listen to him, is what she's saying. Whatever he tells you to do. You know, how do we how do we deal with that today? You know, she wasn't expecting Jesus to give an apologetic speech about not having wine. We don't know if she was expecting a miracle. We're not sure exactly what it is she's expecting, but she's expecting something. Do whatever he tells you. So what does that mean for you today? Let me tell you what I do with that. This is what I pray almost every day. A version of this, and usually multiple times during the day because I'm a little thick. Lord Jesus, how can I serve you today? The beginning of the Gospel of Luke, he says, this is the testimony of those who are servants of the word. We are servants of the word, capital W, the word made flesh and dwelt among us, and we behold his glory, glory of the only begotten, of the Father filled with grace and truth. This is the word. Show me how I can serve you today. Lord Jesus, show me what you are doing today. What I'm doing isn't important. What he's doing is very important. Lord Jesus, how might I join your ministry today? I know if you remember, but two weeks ago, I shared with you that I don't have a ministry. Jesus has a ministry. And I get to join him in his ministry. Do whatever he tells you. What happens when we do that and we're listening to him and responding to him? I want to show you a, a video, testimony of Norma and Tony talking together and things that God did in and through them. So let's, let's watch that for a moment.
1: Hey, New Life family. This is Tony, and I'm here with Norma. And Norma, you were in a prayer deliverance class. Could you elaborate on your
2: experience? Yes. Hi, Tony, and hello, New Life. Yes, in the month of November, there was a prayer and uh, deliverance uh, class okay. uh, offered at New Life. And in one of those sessions, I was part of the audience. And in one of those sessions, uh, Mindy had prophetic. Um, words of knowledge, actually, about what God wanted to heal. And she talked about healing uh, the wrist. And uh, I had had an elbow problem, not a wrist problem, for many, many months. And it was due to um, me playing on the computer and on the iPad for a long time. And uh, the funny part is that I'm a doctor, so Mm -hmm. I knew what to do to get rid of my elbow problem, Mm -hmm. but I never bothered and when she mentioned, you know, a, uh, God is willing to heal the wrist, I thought that there is not much difference or space between the wrist and the elbow, and I thought maybe God would uh, um, uh, uh, heal my elbow. So I grabbed it, and I knew God is very generous, and He is very kind, and uh, He won't mind healing me, even if it is my fault that I got the illness. And uh, um, when said spoke the healing. I got 80% healed wow. and
1: yeah. So no, did you also, feel you could tell, right?
2: Yeah. That. I was able to tell instantly okay, because of the wow. pain and you know how she says, um, and also from Randy Clark stuff, she, uh, they tell you, you know, move your elbows, mm-hmm. see how it is. So I moved my elbow and it was awesome. Mm, it, it was really, it. really good. It was instantaneous healing way better than medicine. So, um, new life. I want to encourage you. God, is very generous. He is very kind, even though um, it might be an illness that, um, like me, you created for yourself. And, uh, you know, I was thinking that it was my fault, but God still heals. So I release healing to everybody.
0: You notice how Dr. Norma jumped in on that, that that it was actually, the word was for the wrist, but she said, you know, the elbow's not too far away. So she jumped in on that. Belief, faith, really wanting it, pursuing God. She does all those things, and God shows up. Why? Because he's generous. Because he's good. Because he wants to. That's what he wants to do. He wants to touch us. He wants to heal us. So um, as Jesus is getting this going, he, he noticed that there's six stone jars that, that hold 20 to 30 gallons. And the stone is important, by the way, if it was clay or earthenware of any kind, that would absorb the impurities that were in every, any liquid that were there. Stone did not absorb the impurities as much, and so they would use those. Ceremony washing was every time before they ate, they would pour out water from these jars only to wash their hands. It was a regular part of Jewish culture and custom, and it's in the law. Um, you can look it up in the Old Testament to see what they're talking about there. So Jesus says, fill those up, fill those jars up. So you got anywhere between 120 to 180 gallons, right? And, and someone actually bothered to say, okay, if you did that, you took one cup, that would be 2,400 cups or servings, which means the bride and the groom are going to have a lot left over after this. This is Jesus' gift to them uh, after this wedding, which would be worth qu- quite a bit, and it's quality stuff. So he says, fill it to the brim. So no one can add anything to it. No one can dilute it with water or add anything else to it. Fill it all the way to, to the brim. And if we, if we look and pay attention to the words of Jesus... You you watch his intentionality. So the very first words that we find in this gospel are in chapter 1, verse 38, when a couple of the disciples of John the Baptist are now following him because John has pointed them that way. And he turns around to them in verse 38 and says, What do you want? And so Jesus asks you, What do you want? What do you want? And then he says, come. And then he says, follow me. And then here he says, fill. Fill. Let's do that right now. Can you stand with me for just a moment, if you're able to? And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill these people that you love right now in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that in your world there are no hurricanes, there are no storms. That where you are, we're able to sleep in perfect peace. And so, Lord, I pray that those struggling with storms and hurricanes this morning, those struggling with addictions... that in those places they would find peace. Because Jesus says, fill them to the brim. Fill them all the way to the top. From the soles of their feet to the top of their head. Spirit, soul, and body. Holy Spirit, come and fill. Come and fill. And I pray, Lord, that those who are struggling with infirmity, disease, illness, some type of physical ailment already, you would begin to touch them in those places. They'd become aware that you, by your presence, bring healing. By your redeeming work on the cross, you bring healing. And you'd begin to touch each one of them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. So once once he fills and we experience that healing, what he then says is, draw that out, and I want you to give that away. Draw that out, and I want you to give that away. Turning the water into wine, Jesus had the same power to create that God demonstrated in creating heaven and earth. It points to Jesus as creator God who could transform material things like water and turn them in, into wine. He's doing it very subtly. Subtly, there's no drama here. He's just quietly doing all of, all of this. And then they take that, and, and he says to the servants, now take that to the MC. Now, here's the real test. Do they believe? <laughs> What if they take it to the MC and he tastes it and it's water? What happens with them? You are now unemployed, right? They have to believe by faith that that this also is happening, that as they go through this, they have to take some actions, faith actions, as part of the process. They're not just idle bystanders. So I want you to see three, three aspects of the servant's obedience. That they, they had to obey immediately. In other words, he says, "Phil, do this now. We're out completely. The guests aren't gonna be happy. Fill them now. They obeyed completely all the way to the top. Fill them all the way to the top of the brim. Don't leave anything there for water or anything else. All the way to the top. And then they obeyed uh, successfully in stages here. That you are to fill, you're to draw it out, and you're going to take it. In other words, you're going to give it away. That's going to be their next step after the MC has signed off on it. They're going to give it away. And when he tastes it, he says to the groom, verse 9 and and 10, he says, you know, everyone usually gives the best wine at first. And then later on, they bring out the cheaper stuff, but you. So everyone, everyone does what is expected. Everyone does what, what it's always been this way. We always do it this way. Um, this is what I always do. Everyone says, well, this is what has worked in the past. Everyone has statements where they rely on past things and methods and patterns and whatever they may be. But you, Jesus. But you. Now, he obviously doesn't know that it's not the groom who's done this, it's Jesus who's done this. But he says, but you. You see, when, when in your relationship with Jesus, if you're relying on methods and, and, and patterns and even principles, which can be good, but they're no substitute for, for obedience, when you're relying on, on things, on formulas, instead of relying on his word, you're the everyone. But I want to be doing what Jesus is doing. Do whatever. He tells you do whatever he tells you that's the but but you we want to do whatever you are telling us so here's the thing you know you most of us have heard sermons on you know we don't want to just look for his hand we want to look for his face in other words his presence which is really really true the thing is if we get satisfied with just knowing the acts of God we're not knowing his ways We run into a problem, and there's a huge difference between those two things. You know, are we content with just receiving his provision without knowing him, with him being a stranger? The ways of God open up a window into his nature and his heart, and as, as we begin to see his actions, we should know who it is that is doing this. We should want to deepen our relationship with that. In the same psalm that I read for communion, Psalm 103, in verse 7, he said, he makes his ways known to Moses his deeds to the people of Israel. You get the difference? That the deeds were his actions, that the people all saw his actions, but it's Moses who knew his heart and knew his ways. And when we do that, we enter into a whole other level and depth of ministry where the Father will release to us those who actually want to know his ways. He says, I've saved the best for you. If you're only interested in what I can do for you and and the actions and the external things, that's something else. And when we're only interested in that, what we do is we build a world around ourselves that ends up being a prison cell. When all of our thoughts and and, and our thinking and our efforts is all about us and everything that we do, we have created a prison for ourselves. And in in doing so, we believe that all the affections of our heart and everything, they eventually will become twisted because it's all centered around us. It is a perversion of God's design for us to think we're the center of the universe. There's nothing liberating or freeing there. Every single time the disciples have anything that's successful or they accomplish anything positive in the Gospels and the kingdom of God, it is because they gave something away. It is because they took the bread and the fish that God is multiplying and they distributed it. They're giving away what is given to them. When they pray and drive out demons, when they cleanse a leper, when they do anything like that through prayer and ministry, they're giving away the life of God. And every time they, they do it, that is when they're successful in ministry because they're giving it away they're being generous and so jesus once again tells them okay now give this away this is for the the wedding share this with other people give it away ministry is multiplied when we give it away what jesus did in Cana of Galilee, it says in verse 11, was the first of the signs which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You notice that, that John uses the word signs instead of miracles. Pastor, I think, referred to that the last week. but They're often interchangeable, though, because a sign is a miracle that points beyond itself to a major truth about God or Jesus. It, and it has a current application for today, too, by the way. It's not just for some future time. So let's think about the purpose of a sign for just a moment. The purpose of a sign, like a sign you'd find on the freeway to get the correct exit, the purpose of a sign is to point to a destination. But belief in the sign does not get you to the destination. You still need to go to get activated to reach the destination, right? Not enough simply to know about it, so all these signs of Jesus require us to go to be activated to receive him and then act on it and every time the disciples do that their faith is deepened they grow in maturity they grow in belief and he does that so his glory might be revealed You know what's interesting in the story is the ones who catch this and he reveals his glory to, and have any sense of revelation, is not the bride. It's not the groom. It's not even Mary. It's not the MC. It's not the wedding guests. It's the disciples. Why? Why is the revelation for the disciples? Because they are the ones who will actually do something with the revelation. Because they are the ones who will step into a lifestyle marked by the miraculous. Because they are the ones who will actually believe and then do something with it. It's wonderful that you believe, but so do the demons. We need to be doing something with it. We need to be moving. We need to be activated and doing kingdom things. And and that is why we share the stories of when God moves. So I want to share one other story, a video with you of another miracle, another healing that we happened right in this room. Hello,
2: New Laugh family. I am Norma, and this is Tony. Welcome, Tony. Thank you. Uh, So I hear that in the month of November, when you were in church, something fabulous happened to you. Could you tell us a little bit about
1: this? Yes, absolutely. So what happened was, in November, Pastor Doug, um, during Sunday service, he called out very specifically, people having pain in their right elbow. And I actually had that pain from a gardening overuse injury. I was trying to hack weeds in the dry summer heat, and it took several days. Hurt my elbow. But I also managed, um, even before then, to hurt my shoulder blades in, um, in, in a gym injury where I didn't... I was It was leg day. So I didn't warm up my upper body, but I was doing an exercise and weight too heavy. Anyway, I hurt myself, both of my shoulder blades Mm -hmm. in June. So it had been going on for months. And then on top of that, I managed to do another gardening um, injury, which was very, unforced and unnecessary but I just made some bad decisions with a big bag of rocks and dirt and one arm and bottom line I really really hurt that already injured area so I had all these injuries so when Pastor Doug called out the elbow I thought well you know God as long as you're at it I also have these two problems on my shoulder blades and I had this other problem that I have and I'm calling all of those. I'm asking you to heal all of those. And so um, when he um, led us in prayer, then when I got home, I checked everything because I had, I couldn't before reach, you know, more than like about here and now I can reach all the way over on both sides. The pain was completely gone in all three areas in my back and shoulder, my elbow, um, was it was just a little bit of a twinge that was there, and then it eventually faded away. So that's the um, what God did for me, and I think the thing that I learned, He healed or just restored um, and just refreshed my confidence in His grace because Amen. all of those injuries. I didn't. The one that I didn't know about was the gardening for the elbow, but the other ones were just me just making silly, unwise decisions. And I just encourage the congregation that sometimes the more undeserving you are of healing, it makes it that much bigger of a testimony of God's grace and his sense of humor.
2: Amen. Can
0: we have the worship team come up? So I I want you to know she did the same thing that Tony did, that that I just named the elbow, but she jumped in on everything that she could. <laughs> As her, she used to have a number of things. So, why not? Why not be bold and why not, why not ask? Would you stand with me? We have had uh, people healed on almost every Sunday for the last few months. Almost every Sunday, we've had somebody healed. Lord, we thank you that it is your heart to restore and to renew your people. It is your heart to heal us. And I pray, Lord, that work that you've been doing through the service you would continue to do right now as we worship you.